Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Susan Cooper, CEO and training principal at AccuTrainee. The SQE has made plenty of headlines since its initial reveal, but it's not always been clear how it will impact aspiring lawyers and the profession alike. In this episode, Susan and I discuss the what, why and when of the SQE, how it compares to current qualification routes, as well as how aspiring lawyers can prepare for it. Let's get into it. So hi, Susan. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's lovely to be here, Harry. Thanks very much. It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, another one of my favourite types of episodes when it's on something that I know very little about, which is the SQE. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I could speak for a lot of people when they say that they don't know a lot about this this new big proposal of where the future of law is going when it comes to developing the next generation of lawyers. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of people listening today at all ends of their seniority or stages of education who are going to have a lot of questions as to what the SQE is about. And hopefully we can provide um, some some answers to the simple question of, of simply what it is. But um, I hope I think, so. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. But I, I guess before we get too much into that, I think it's a good good kind of starting point is to cover sort of where we are now. So um, I didn't realise this, but lawyers love their kind of three-letter acronyms for educational courses. <laughs> We've got the LPC, the GDL, um, the PSC, which I think a lot of people didn't even realise is part of the training contract until, um, you know, shortly before they join. So I guess just as kind of a brief overview, what is the current uh, sort of educational timeline for a lawyer in the UK? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the sort of but if we call it the current or traditional route to qualification mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. a graduate will either do a law degree at university uh, and then go on to do the LPC or the legal practice course, mm-hmm. um, followed by two years of a training contract, which is where they get their sort of work-based um, real-life work experience uh, and then qualify. During the training contract, as you said, um, all trainees are required to do the PSE, which is the professional skills course. Um, a slightly mm-hmm. different route, of course, is at the beginning. If you choose not to do a law degree, then uh, you can do any degree of your choosing and then have an additional year at law school doing the GDL, which is uh, the Graduate Diploma in Law, um, mm-hmm. and then follow the same route as before, doing the LPC uh, and then the training contract. Um, over the last few years, we've seen an, an uptake as well on a couple of other really exciting routes to qualification, mm-hmm. like the apprenticeship and things like um the equivalent means uh, route, um, and also Silex has certainly um, built up in population, which is which is great. Mm. I, th- I think that's a really important point to raise: is that there's not one route into the profession as we currently stand, and um, yeah, certainly people applying from international backgrounds, people are already qualified in other jurisdictions. Um, course, there's a yeah. broad gateway um, for for kind of breaking into law. It's not just the kind of LPC. TC route that um, a lot of people um, will talk mm-hmm. about. So I guess that's definitely one reason as to why this this current structure works. Um, and I guess you could quite easily make the argument that at the end of the day, people are becoming solicitors and they're, they're becoming lawyers or they're becoming barristers if they're going the pupillage route. Um, so there's clearly an element of something else that's working there. Um, but what do you think are the kind of key flaws within this kind of traditional system and, and as to why you know this 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 new method is kind of being proposed by the SRA? Um, so I think you're absolutely right. I think the current system obviously does work. Um, it works mm-hmm. because we have one of the most, or if not the most highly respected legal professions in the world. And so we're mm-hmm. obviously doing something right. But as with every uh, system like this, it of course has its flaws and it has its um, issues and disadvantages. Um, I think the S- SRA's um, view and approach to this was to try and eliminate some of those issues um and i think the two main 
um, concerns at the time was to try and establish um, consistency in standards at the point of qualification. So obviously mm. right now we have people approaching qualification from slightly different routes, um, going through training contracts um, at vastly different types of organizations. So mm. actually there was no consistency in terms of saying at the point of quali- qualification, this is what everyone has done and has achieved. Um, mm. The other issues were around diversity. Um, obviously there are some uh, restrictions, I think, for some people uh, mm. to follow the, the current route. It can be very expensive, um, but mm. also a lot of graduates were finding themselves in positions where they were um, kind of getting into a lot of debt without mm. absolutely knowing whether they were going to ultimately become a qualified solicitor. So mm. I think there are several things around um, the current qualification route that can be improved. Uh, mm. I guess the the question is whether the route that the SRA has taken is the right one, and that's that's what we will see in the years to come. I guess mm. it's a good question, and I, I think it's a relatively simple question as to what the SQE is. But unfortunately, I don't think it's a very simple answer. Um, it's certainly come into the fire of headlines in recent weeks and months, and um, someone I know who's sort of made the joke that it's the legal equivalent of HS2 and that it's kind of dragging out <laughs> over time and um, no one really knows where it's going or, or how it's going to be delivered. But I guess at least right now, as we, as we kind of record this in June, um, you know, the simple question, what is the SQE and, and what, what is it here to do? We're quite a way down that route in understanding um, the overall out, outline of what the SQE will be. Um, but mm. obviously there's still a lot for us to learn as a profession in terms of how it will all pan out. The SQE stands for the Solicitor's Qualifying Examination. Um, Mm. It's essentially uh, an adaptation of how we're going to qualify as solicitors in England and Wales. The Mm. new regulations will require individuals to have a degree in any subject or equivalent Mm -hmm. qualification. Mm. Um, You will need to have passed two stages of the solicitor's qualifying exam. So there's um, SQE part one and there's SQE Mm -hmm. part two. Mm -hmm. Any individual will have had to have completed at least two years of qualifying work experience and they will need to have passed the SRA's character and suitability requirements in order to qualify. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, what, what the SQE will do though is when I said earlier that there are several paths to qualification right now, this is kind of going to blow that out of the water uh, you know mm. there are going to be many many different ways that individuals can actually approach qualification and for me that's probably one of the biggest challenges that the profession faces mm. in being comfortable of those different routes and understanding those different routes and particularly when um, people are post-qualification ensuring that um, people are still uh, fit for purpose, can deliver the services properly, uh, and and ensuring that the route that they have taken is not in any way detrimental to them. Mm. Um, Now, I mentioned about part one and part two. Um, Very broadly, SQE part one uh, is really testing the functioning legal knowledge of a candidate. So it's really testing your understanding of legal principles. Mm -hmm. That test will be conducted um, using two multiple choice papers 
Mm-hmm. Those multiple choice papers will consist of 180 questions each, and they will cover a very broad range of core subjects that are equivalent to the types of things we learn right now on the LLB and the LPC. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've completed the uh, SQE Part 1, you can go on to, to pass or to um, attempt SQE Part 2. And Part mm-hmm. 2 is actually testing your legal skills, your practical legal skills. Um, initially, the idea behind Part 2 was to test the skills that you acquire during your two years of work experience, or essentially what we recognize as the training contract. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the SRA is allowing Part 2 to be sat really at any point after Part 1. So it does mean that individuals can actually start to um, acquire work experience that counts towards their qualification mm-hmm. and sit part one and then very shortly after sit part two if they feel that they're ready to sit mm-hmm. the legal skills assessment. Um, thereafter, providing obviously they, you know, they've done those two years experience and they can pass the character and suitability test, they can go on to qualification. So um, it, it, you can see there are a lot of changes to the traditional route. And those mm-hmm. are really heightened by when we look at what an individual has to do in order to pass part one and part two. So mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, in order to qualify, you have to have the um, uh, a degree or an equivalent to a degree. But mm-hmm. um, the LPC falls away eventually, the GDL falls away eventually, and what it will be replaced with are essentially preparation courses in order to pass part one and in order to pass part two that will supplement the work experience that you've gained doing your qualifying mm-hmm. work experience. It, the SQE part two is really going to be formed of a series of role plays and written work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It, it's a little bit like the um, QLTS, which is um, when we have foreign lawyers coming over to qualify uh, in English and Welsh law, they will complete the QLTS, which requires them to uh, to complete a series of what's called objective structured clinical examinations. Um, and mm-hmm. OSCEs are uh, 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 the abbreviation. It's a combination of those two, and the skills that will be tested in part two are things like um, how you interview a client, advocacy, um, case and matter analysis, uh, legal research writing and drafting skills. And interestingly, actually, those skills will all be tested uh, over um, quite a wide variety of different practice areas, so five Mm -hmm. different practice areas. And those areas will cover both sort of corporate commercial, um, but also criminal, dispute resolution, property. Mm. Um, so actually, you know, again, we're looking at every individual at the point of qualification will have had to uh, pass these different assessments, or as the SRA is calling them, stations, uh, mm. in order to qualify. This episode of the More From Law podcast is sponsored by Get Into Law. If you're listening, it's like you're looking to break into or learn more about the legal profession. Get Into Law are a law careers advice community that's on a mission to build the most active, value-driven legal platform in the world through social media. They help support aspiring lawyers by providing skills, tools, and resources you need to begin your legal career. If you want access to their latest daily tips, guides, and resources, including some I've written myself, be sure to follow them on Instagram and LinkedIn by searching for the handle Get Into Law. 
this is a really monumental change that's being proposed and there's a there's a lot of different components that are that are at play mm-hmm. here and i think it could be quite difficult for to sort of wrap your head around it especially like you said when you can kind of sit um part one and part two consecutively when you can sit it after your training contract with part two um mm-hmm. all these different skills which are going to be tested so um i mean when you're sort of comparing it to this you know admittedly traditional method of lpc plus training contract or gdl lpc plus training contract um it, it's certainly a different beast and it, it's, it's a lot more flexible in terms of how you're going to be sitting these assessments um but i think one of the kind of really interesting aspects that that, that i sort of found very interesting to read about was the actual format of the testing so as you mentioned it's this it's this multiple choice emphasis and i'm currently sort of studying the lpc and there is an element of multiple choice in the examinations but of course there's also written components there's advocacy skills which would be covered under uh, part two so I guess just the suitability of multiple choice questioning. Um, I think you saw recently there was a there was a headline that a 15 year old who hadn't even revised for the exam scored 48 percent um, a few months ago. Is that an indication that there's going to be a serious issue here in terms of you know uh, someone who just sits at a series of multiple choice exams? Are they going to be ready to enter the world of professional practice and and kind of ensure that they're going to be able to deliver that high quality service to clients? Well, that is an incredibly loaded question, Harry, and I'll do my best to, <laughs> do my best to answer I'm it. I'm not trying to box you in a corner. No, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, you know, the, the underlying um, idea behind the having that um, consistent, ex- I suppose, that exam that we all have to pass does make sense. You know, it shows that everyone, mm. in order to qualify, must have achieved the same thing. And I think the, the rationale about having that... Um, standard uh you know that consistency and standard at the point of qualification also makes sense but the big question is where is that standard set at um so if we all have to reach a specific standard in order to call ourselves solicitors enter the legal profession and that standard is set at a good level then great but of course mm-hmm. the problem and the concerns arise and there are a lot of critics um to the to the solicitor's qualification exam Including um, people like the, um, uh, the the junior lawyers division. Mm. Um, if that standard is set too low, then of course we have concerns around, as you said, around quality, around the impact of the integrity of the profession. And we are hearing these stories of um, lots of people <laughs> passing, mm. um, not not just getting forty eight percent or whatever it was. This. this uh, teenager got but people who have had no legal training whatsoever who are getting quite good marks uh, at a level which we think could potentially be a pass mark now we don't really know yet what the pass marks will be because I think that will depend on how people do every year Um, but that is of course a concern because there are having done some of the sample questions myself you know it is it is based on multiple choice it is based on um, sort of your best um, answer uh, within those mm. uh, options but actually some of them you know you could argue are also quite common sense uh, based mm. you know if you had no legal training whatsoever that actually you could kind of take a guess and more often than not be right which is why I think we're getting some of these results that we're getting um, I think some of the alarming things that I've heard through the seminars and all the discussions that I've been involved in is you know one one um, senior lecturer at a, at a university, won't name which mm. one, said, you know, based on what you're asking us to deliver for the students, I could teach the entire contract syllabus in a matter of two mm. or three weeks. 
to get the students to the point that they pass the SQ part one. Mm. Um, now, I don't, you know, it's very difficult to justify those kind of comments. And also, you know, this is a new process and I have no doubt whatsoever that the SRA and um, Kaplan, who are going to be the um, examination adjudicators and assessors to the SQE, they'll no doubt be fine-tuning part one. They'll no doubt be making improvements um, and there will be tweaking that has to be done along the way. But it does raise some concerns um, that, okay, if we've all passed that exam, that's great. But, it, you know, the exam needs to be sufficiently robust and um, tackle uh, candidates to ensure that they have got a good fundamental understanding of the legal principles in order to use those in practice. Mm, absolutely. And I guess we've talked a lot this episode about kind of what the SQE is and trying to make some comparisons and sense of all of these different criticisms we're reading, different proposals as to how it's going to help people enter the profession. Um, but of course, we've had this discussion for quite a long time. And admittedly, everything that's going on with coronavirus, there was a kind of thought that maybe the SRA would, would try to sort of put the SQE on the back burner, but they've explicitly stated that they're not going to let this sort of slow it down. So I guess a really important question is to try to ask, you know, when is this going to be here? When is this first course going to be open for people to begin? Yeah, and, and actually it's a really important question because um, for many of your listeners who are thinking of becoming um, solicitors, it's very possible that uh, if they are actively working or in work experience, you know, some of that time could count towards their qualification. Mm. So um, the first SQE Part 1 exam will take place, as we currently understand it, around November 2021, mm -hmm. so November of next year. Uh, that will be followed by the first um, SQE Part 2 assessments being done. Um, it's estimated around April 2022. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of who can opt for this new route to qualification, Really, if we look at who can actually continue on the, the current process, anyone who has either started or accepted um, to start the LLB by the 1st of September 2021 mm. uh, can actually still opt to use the, to, to qualify under the current mm. route. And because of all the time lags, you know, because obviously if you take one individual, they may start the LLB. Um, they may do a three or a four year course. They may then have a gap year before be doing the LPC. Mm. You can see that actually there needs to be quite a long transition period before the current route is entirely extinguished. Mm. And right now that is estimated at um, being at a roundabout, believe it or not, 2023. Mm. Um, so we've got around a sort of between 10 to 12 year window where we're going to have um, graduates who can qualify either on the existing current route or the new SQE route. Mm. Anyone who actually doesn't start or hasn't accepted um, to go on to a course of the LLB uh, by the 1st of September next mm -hmm. year, they will need to go through the SQE route. Mm. So I guess a really important question that raises is for those who might fall within that SQE timeframe, like we've mentioned, um, it's the idea of preparation. So I think we've kind of touched a little bit on terms of what the SQE is in terms of, you know, which which part is going to test your skills, which one is going to test the kind of basic fundamentals of your sort of legal knowledge and legal principles. Um, but I guess a kind of a lot of listeners will be worried that, you know, the LPC or the GDL have been running for however long they've been running for. And as a result, you know, there's a lot of understanding as to what the exams look like, how to prepare for them. This is the exact content that I'm going to be covering. You know, I'm going to be covering 
my advocacy skills. I'm going to be covering my writing skills and so on. And I think, you know, with something like the SRA, so with something like the SQE kind of coming on the near horizon, a lot of people will be anxious as to how to kind of prepare from where they are now in that kind of pre-university setting um, to kind of following through on this this new uh, adventure, should we call it, that the SRA have kind of put in put in place for legal development. So um, mm. how do you think sort of students should kind of respond to this proposed changes? Is there anything to be concerned about or can we hopefully uh, address some of those sort of anxieties about these all these new changes that are happening? Well, we'll certainly try and address some of those anxieties, but I absolutely appreciate and understand why students at this point might be anxious. Um, it is going to be quite a difficult transition period, I believe, um, because of the uncertainty around a lot of what's happening. Mm. And that uncertainty isn't just limited to the graduates. It extends to the universities the law school providers, um, the law firms themselves that are taking on graduates because everyone's trying to find their feet and work out how they can maximise the benefits um, and create essentially a better qualification route through the SQE. And that is very much still being worked on. Now, I say that, obviously, many of the universities and the law schools, have, of course, have done huge amounts of work. And it's, you know, it, listeners should be very encouraged. Those that want to embark on a legal career, they should be very encouraged because there is some amazing work being done by the universities and the law schools on how they are going to prepare their students for SQ Part 1 and 2. Um, I think... The difficulty will be is in identifying what's going to be the best route for each individual when actually we have very little visibility of what the end result is going to look like. And we've always got an issue where we have such a, a sort of seismic change of not knowing how the profession is going to react. So, you know, we've, we've already started to see uh, law firms really sort of making making their own kind of mini, uh, own own mini routes to qualification and saying, okay, well, actually, people that come to us and qualify with us will do this. And then you've got a different type of law firm that says, you know, graduates that come to us will actually do this and it will be slightly different. So you can see how, when I was saying earlier, there are already a few routes to qualification. This is just going to absolutely explode. And the big question is going to be, well, what happens after qualification? Will all um, solicitors be deemed to be the same or will there start to be some kind of tiering system where you get the magic circle firm saying, well, those that, that train through us, um, you know, they've done it this way and that's what we need. And then you've got the high street firms that say, actually, this is what we require. You've got the in-house organisations, uh, you know, completely different in terms of what the core skills are that they are looking for. They will have done things slightly differently. And, and I think what's slightly unclear is how that's all going to transition through an individual's career. Um, but I did say I was going to try and alleviate some of those sort of, um, <laughs> maybe anxieties because, you know, please, everyone should rest assured. Obviously, there are lots of people doing a lot of work around this. And there is some amazing work that's bringing in technology, artificial intelligence in order to support um, students through this journey. Yeah. The, the the key thing for me, I think, with regards to S3 Part 1, if we ignore the actual standard 
Um, and I'm, I'm confident that that will be made right mm-hmm. because, again, there's a lot of studying and work that's done mm-hmm. that, that's being done on that. With SQE Part Two, uh, the the I mean, just just to reiterate, you know, the training contract route, the route to qualification, is something I have been heavily involved in in over an, for, for over a decade. Mm. So I, I know this area very well. I've experienced and observed many, many trainees go through the qualification process and develop. Mm. Um, through that, the current um, route, I've always been a little critical that I felt that law firms and organisations that take on trainees should have more responsibility mm. around ensuring that trainees are doing all the things that they need to do. And in some ways, what I think is disappointing about the SQE is that instead of heightening that, they've actually removed any existing, almost you know, removed any existing responsibility. Mm. And in, in, a, in a way, kind of put that onus on the graduates, which I think is quite difficult when you're mm. a graduate and you're going through this process for the first time and the only time you're going to go through it. Mm. It's very hard for you to judge and to know what you should be doing, what you have done, what you haven't done, what you need to do more of. Um, and again, you know, I would I would stress there are um, there are means and ways of uh, with organisations looking at how they're going to support graduates um, to do that. Most notably, you know, AccuTraining. That's very much what our focus is mm-hmm. in ensuring that we can partner with people very early on in their career and help them go through that journey and understand what it is they need to be the best solicitor they can be. Um, but actually you're going to have a, a very wide mix of people coming through uh, this in very different ways. You've got the apprenticeships, um, you know, you've got the people at the top city law firms, you've got the private client um, law firms, you know, niche practice firms, in-house firms, you know, they're all going to be doing this all slightly differently, I think. Based on your answer there as well, you gave an indication as to how firms will have the ability to sort of diversify how they're bringing in graduate talent into their into their firm, their company through through the kind of traditional training contract method and how that's going to change. Um, and I think that's really interesting because we've we've already started to see a little bit of a change when it comes to how courses are offered. You know, tech tech modules in in law law degrees or um thinking about different seat allocations but i think this is really going to sort of as you say blow open the water in terms of all the different options that the individuals will have um do you think that's kind of raising a more fundamental fundamental question as to what the lawyer of tomorrow will, will actually look like and, and how the firm themselves may decide to dictate what they want to see um in their sort of future trainees and their future associates I mean, I think certainly what we're seeing so far with those organisations that have come out and said that this is how we're doing it is that mm. they are absolutely looking at what the future, what their future lawyers of tomorrow um, will need to look like and what skills mm. they'll need to um, have. That's probably something that has been happening, though, for, for some time. You know, we've had mm. some of the uh, city law firms have um, sort of their own designed LPC on some of the core subjects that they know that they want their trainees to have. And I guess this will be um, a a continuation of that in that yes. um, it is giving everyone an opportunity to sort of stop and say, well, actually, the world has changed. The legal profession has obviously changed with that and is going to continue to change. So what do our future lawyers need to 
to me to look like. And and it's mm. quite heartening that it, it isn't just about the um the the legal knowledge. There are all of the soft skills or core skills I should say that um are wrapped into that in terms of how we can deliver the best service to our clients. Of mm. course what we have to do and I think maybe one of the reasons why Esprit Part One has has sort of created a little bit of um a bit more noise than it otherwise would do, or a bit more concern is, you know, we mustn't forget about the the legal uh, understanding and the uh, the understanding of the core legal principles. So these all have to work very closely together. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I think we will see lots of organisations um, really focusing on this, or have been focusing on this, and and will adapt accordingly to make sure that their future lawyers have those skills that they need. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think we started with a with a relatively simple question as to what the SQE is, and I think we've managed to really explore all the different facets of it. You know how it's going to actually function, comparisons to the LPC, some of the criticisms, some of the proposals, um, as well as some other questions as to when and how it's going to get here. But no, an absolutely fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. Where can people go to learn more about yourself and and all the kind of things we talked about today? So um, uh, you can go to our website, which is accutrainee.com. Um, and obviously we are, um, in terms of uh, our LinkedIn page, for instance, we're always uploading um, uh, advice and guidance on lots of areas around qualification, really. So um, you can follow Accutrainee on LinkedIn or uh, Twitter um, and, uh, and Facebook, any of those. Fantastic. Well, we'll have to keep up to date and see where the uh, the SQE goes with everything that's changing so rapidly. But for now, at least a really nice summary as to what it's all about. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Susan. Thank you very much, Harry. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the More From Law podcast. The amount of support the show has received recently has been unbelievable. So thanks again for playing your part in that by listening. If you'd like to support the show, please rate it five stars on the iTunes store and follow the show on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps the show reach more listeners. If you're looking for more tips, resources and guides, you can visit my website www.harryclarklaw.com where you can also sign up to my newsletter and stay up to date with everything that I'm up to. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.